Friends, this is Morgan Snyder, and welcome back to another episode of the Ransom Heart Podcast. It's an honor and it's a privilege to be with you today. A couple of weeks ago, I found myself on Mother's Day with my wife, Sherry, and our kiddos heading off on a bike ride. It was a beautiful spring, Colorado, pre-summer day, and we were blasting down a hill and something caught me out of the corner of my eye and it was a sign, handwritten, scratched piece of cardboard on the sidewalk that said free bike jumps. And right after that, I caught a couple of bags of mulch and a really rough piece of plywood clearly uh, taken out of someone's garage and right past the bike jump was a group of young precious kids, probably age five, six, seven, unfitting bike helmets and scooters. And they were all smiles. The girls were dressed in their Sunday best for Mother's Day. And what the boys lacked in teeth, they made up for in bravado. These kids were glorious. And I looked at this bike jump and I immediately went to Napoleon Dynamite and the thoughts of Pedro and the sledgehammer and the infamous bike jump. If you know the scene, uh, you will enjoy just visiting that in your mind's eye. So we were going down the hill and we were going on a longer bike ride. And before we could even calculate it all, we were gone and headed downtown, went for a picnic, played some volleyball, and hours later, the four of us headed back. And the kids were still there. The bike jump was still there. The free bike jump sign was still there. And Joshua and I were in the lead. And as I passed the bike jump, I just thought, though I loved their invitation, I thought about all the things that could go wrong. I can just see going off this rickety jump and endoing and pulling a Napoleon. I could see breaking their jump or ripping open the bags of mulch and ending up spending the rest of my mother's day at Home Depot trying to replace a couple of bags of suburban mulch. And in my micro calculations, I passed. I biked by. But then I heard something. And I turned around to watch my bride launch herself off of this bike jump, the free bike jump, to the roar of the crowd of these little kids. She chose the better thing. My wife chose to risk. I don't know that she had ever been off a bike jump before, and I don't know that she will ever go over one again. But Sherry was entrusted with a sort of power on that day. And what she did with that power meant everything. And what she chose to do changed the world. Friends, it's an honor to be with you. And as many of you may know, God has entrusted to my care a message and a mission embodied in the book, Becoming a King, in a six-session video series and a study guide that's written on different levels. One is an entry level with big ideas and big questions and big prayers that steadily open up new hearts and new explorers of soul into the message uh, as a companion to the video. And then the study guide goes really deep that's meant to be a slow and steady process of the few that want to go even further. This entire suite of resources is a mission that I believe God has asked us to steward, to reach the many and find the few. In every generation, we have an opportunity to recover the way back 
to life. And I believe this is one of the narrow gates that leads to a narrow path that's been entrusted to our care. And so friends, with today's podcast, I wanted to turn to a expanded teaching that I did on becoming a king. Do you remember a moment where you were entrusted with power? One that comes to mind for me took place in a summer sunset on a lake in rural western New York. It was the geography of our childhood vacations where we had many adventures. And now my siblings and I are all grown, married with children of our own. But years ago, I remember we met for a reunion. We rented a beautiful 21-foot Sea Ray 300-horsepower watercraft, and we played for days on the lake. Our last evening together, the whole family gathered for dinner at a lakeside restaurant. And as we feasted, I remember a huge storm building on the horizon. We were underprepared to navigate that sort of storm, but we had to return the rental boat to a marina on the other side of the lake. We prayed and made a decision to try to race the storm and get the boat back before we were engulfed in the torrent. Our wives and all the children piled up in vehicles and drove home while my two brothers and I headed out on open water in the last light of day. It was the calm before the storm on glassy, smooth waters. And I remember chasing the setting sun with these imminent thunderheads building on the horizon. Just as we pulled back toward the dock, the sky burst open with torrents of rain and flashes of lightning to feel the power of that watercraft and the weather in a shared adventure with men I love. It was one of the most thrilling moments of my life. In Genesis, God pulls back the curtain and he lets us in on his most audacious plan. After this wildly creative work was deeply established, all of the earth is handed to Adam and Eve to rule and to reign. God says in Genesis, let us make men and women in our image to be like us. They will reign over fish in the sea, birds in the sky, over the livestock, over all the wild animals on the earth. In Waking the Dead, John Eldridge explains that we were meant to exercise a fierce mastery over our domain. Like a foreman runs a ranch, or like a skipper runs his ship. Better still, like a king rules a kingdom. God appoints us as governors of his domain. We were created to be the kings and queens of the earth. To be made in the image of God is to have a seed of intention planted deep within us, each and every one of us. Like a giant oak tree is hidden in the seed of an acorn. That seed marks for us a destiny to become the kind of man to be entrusted with this most sacred and central of tasks. You see, desire reveals design and design reveals destiny. However, about any glance at the headlines seems to tell a far different story. We must pause and ask, What's gone wrong with power entrusted to men? 
We tend to think problems are external, like a broken truck, a broken boss, or a broken marriage. Yet, if we take a deeper pass, these external problems are clues that often reveal something deeper at work within our souls. Mike Mason said it so well when he suggested a man is like a densely populated city. Nothing new can be built in its heart without something else being torn down. Men, in order to recover our strength, to recover a deep and lasting joy, we are in need of excavation and reconstruction. Dallas Willard suggests the primary work of God is finding men to whom he can entrust his power. And the story of most men is being entrusted with power and it bringing harm to themselves and those under their care. Perhaps a much more vulnerable question to ask beyond what's gone wrong in the world is this. What's gone adrift within my own masculine soul? More recently than I'd want to admit, I was facing some heavy challenges and I wanted to share them with my wife, Sherry. I had asked her if she'd go up to our bedroom so we could have a conversation. As soon as we sat down, I noticed she looked very stiff and I asked her how she was feeling. With courage and vulnerability, she responded, Morgan, I'm bracing myself. I'm waiting to hear what I did that I shouldn't have done and what I didn't do that I should have done. I could feel the grief of missing the mark again as her husband. Who had I become that she had to brace herself like this with me? Where did I turn from bringing strength and love to my marriage and instead, yet again, bringing pain through a consistent mishandling of her heart. What if we found ourselves only partway in a story? What if the primary mission God is up to today is inviting us to be restored, to be made whole as men? What if through integrating the masculine soul and cultivating a genuine union with God, In time, we could become the kind of men in whom God can gladly entrust the care of his kingdom. You see, we all have a kingdom, a realm or domain in which we have been entrusted care. This is true for every human being. Our kingdom is where we have say. My kingdom is where what I want done is done. It starts with simple choices like what I had for breakfast or what clothes I chose to wear today or how I chose to get to work today. We can think of our kingdom, our domain, as beginning with our own masculine soul and extending to our body and then our mind, our choices. And what's fascinating is as our borders expand, our kingdom begins to include people and responsibilities and parts of creation of which we are given jurisdiction. And so friends, an important question for you to consider is how is your kingdom 
it would do us all well to pause with pen and paper, with time and with curiosity to ask this question, how is your kingdom? Like a mature transplanted tree that does not have sufficient roots to support the growth and withstand the storms, most of us men find ourselves having too much kingdom and not enough wholeheartedness or integrity of soul to care for it well. I remember a season of life in the unsettling nature of a quickly expanding kingdom. Shortly after college, I found myself married to an incredible woman. And years later, we had a son, Joshua, and then a daughter, Abigail. And I was partnering with John in leading this worldwide mission to rescue the hearts of men. Well, I did my best to tend to my soul. Everything around me was growing so quick, too quick. My kingdom exceeded my soul's capacity to lead out of true courage and love on behalf of others. Fear was never far away. At the time, I couldn't fully interpret it. On the surface, all seemed well, but internally, it felt like the check engine lights on the dashboard of my soul asked increasingly for my attention. Enough pain had me turning to God for guidance. After my questions to God for weeks were met only by silence, I began to feel this unexpected but strong and affectionate reassurance that a response was underway. God was inviting me to begin a process of apprenticeship through relationships, seeking the counsel of older, wiser men who had suffered much and through it prevailed and found deep and rich life. God was directing me to the ancient path of becoming, to the rare men who had chosen to recover parts of the path themselves. It began first as a single handwritten letter. I found the oldest man I knew whom I respected, and I put pen to paper regarding the questions in my heart. In time, I formed a list of all the older men in one way or another who had a place in my story. I sent a letter to each man asking for his counsel. Those in faraway states or countries, I asked for a letter or a phone conversation in return. To those in closer proximity, responses came over time as conversations over a pine or cigar and even a few by campfire. As the experiences grew, so did the list. I continued to identify more and more guides to add to the ranks. Men in front of me on the masculine journey in various ways. Over two years' time, the number grew to nearly 75 sages and fathers, and with them a treasure chest of clues to an ancient path that had been eager to be recovered. As I sat in their council in a stack of copious notes, I began noticing themes of their responses. And with those in hand, I began to add to the fellowship of sages, the council of the great heroes of our faith down through the ages. The ancient path began surfacing for my masculine soul. I wondered if this perhaps was what the wild-eyed prophet Jeremiah spoke about to the people in Babylon 
who found themselves deeply immersed in a culture that had lost its way. In Jeremiah chapter 6, he says, Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. G.K. Chesterton said that every generation loses the gospel and this ancient path back to life, and every generation is charged with its recovery. The message of becoming a king offers a recovered map for the ancient path to becoming the kind of trustworthy king to whom God can entrust his kingdom. I've spent over two decades relentlessly choosing to become more of the man that God could entrust with this message. And as a way of curating and distilling treasures recovered, I've written the book, Becoming a King, a study guide, and created a video series, all as a gift and a set of tools for you if you would want to join in responding to this invitation. It's a map for the path of inner transformation. It's an invitation into reconstruction of much of what we have come to believe about God, ourselves, and the meaning of life. It's an invitation to a rare and remarkable fellowship of men committed to becoming like-hearted kings. Simply put, you can become the kind of man, the kind of king, to whom God is glad to entrust the care of his kingdom in ever-increasing measure. It requires recovering a path and engaging in a process. So let's go back to where we began. Think of a moment where you were entrusted with power. What was that like for you? It matters more than you might think. Friends, as you are listening to this podcast, I want to invite you to pause. Wherever you are in your world, before other things crowd in and clamor for the attention and affection of your soul, because this question matters and it is intended to be a narrow gate to make accessible in this moment more and more of the path of life. So pause with me, and Holy Spirit, I invite you to reveal what you want to say in gender-specific ways of a moment that I was entrusted with power. And friends, it might be very big, deeply significant. It might be very small. It might be something that's very current in your story now, and it might be that the Spirit is bringing you back to a memory in ages past. But Holy Spirit, we give you our attention and we ask with curiosity, where would you like to shine your light? Show me as a man, as a woman, where and how I was entrusted with power and what that brought up in me. And Holy Spirit, you are a teacher and a counselor. And Father, you are the great provider of vast abundance and personal affection and care. You orchestrate a story that you initiate and we are invited to respond. 
We are the ones who are chased after, as you say in Psalm 23, we are the chased after ones. And Jesus, you embody a power that you bestow upon us. You bestow upon us a power to live beyond our circumstances and the outcomes of our clear and present trial. God, you embody us with a supernatural power where we can conquer death and move through death to a greater life. And so God, in all of your glory and your strength and your care, I pray that you would tend to my heart in this place, that you would use this reflection on power to show me what you're up to, show me where you're leading. Friends, this was intended to just give you a brief and authentic introduction into the message of becoming a king. We invite you to explore them more deeply. There's a beautiful trailer and all of the resources and blogs and podcasts. It's all available at becomingaking.com. In the meantime, thank you for diving in with our fellowship as we go to steward what's been entrusted to our care. We bless you. We stand with you as one. And we look forward to being together again next week. Friends, John Eldridge here for the wrap-up. Hope you've been enjoying hearing more about Morgan's fabulous new book, Becoming a King, and the influence that that message has been having in people's lives for a long time now. And wanted to let you know that in the next week, as we enter the week of June 8th here in the Ransomed Heart podcast, we've got a special announcement coming that I think you are going to find funny and surprising and joyful and really intriguing. So I'm simply going to put that teaser out there and invite you back next Monday on June 8th to hear what that announcement is. 